0: amen let's pray father that is the prayer of our hearts that you would be the vision of our lives that you'd be the ruler thank you for the way that you provide for us you care for us you love us you you serve us and you also call us into a brighter future and you point us the way to be uh, your light and love in the community pray that you help us do that for one another we pray that you'd help us do that as neighbors here in the silicon valley in the city of mountain view And Father, would you please bless this time together now as we look to your word? Would you give us each your spirit as we seek to understand what you have in front of us? And would you please give me your spirit as I uh, look to teach these things accurately, faithfully? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. I, too, want to kind of hype up how fun Pub Trivia was last night. A shout-out to my team. We lost by one point. (laughs) I was talking to somebody afterwards, and I was just kind of sharing my sad story of how we lost by one point. I was like, I'm not going to sleep last night, and I didn't sleep last night. I was like, oh, we could have gotten that one point, any number of ways. He said, I was suffering from silver medalist syndrome. Have you heard of that? Yeah, you guys are laughing. You guys know what I'm talking about. I didn't hear this. It's like the happiest person, obviously, uh, meddling in Olympics is obviously the gold medalist, but the second happiest person <laughs> is the bronze medalist. Because, they, you know, they've just barely got a medal, right? The silver medalist is like, oh, I'm going to have to live with the next four years or rest of it with having not gotten the... That was me last night. It was a lot of fun, though. I was able to get the competitive nature out last night and kind of be ready for a sermon today. So uh, next one, we've got to do it soon. I, I agree. I think Cindy hit it on the head. It's like if anything, if there's ever a takeaway, it's like we've got to do the next one sooner than later. That was That was a blast. Uh, Thank you for everybody who came out. Thank you for the teams who put that on. Uh, Can't wait to do that again uh, with you. Well, today we're continuing in uh, the book of Luke, which I'm really excited about. We're going to get back there. And today we're going to talk about hero making. Everybody wants to be a hero. Very few want to be hero makers, uh, it's really how all our superhero movies go, right? Who gets all the limelight? Who gets all the attention? It's the Batmans of the world. It's the, you know, the Iron Man, the, the Wonder Woman, the Captain Marvel. But you could actually argue that the true heroes, the real heroes of those movies, are actually the Nick Furies and the and the Alfreds. Some of you are like, the who nows? like... Nick Fury is the guy in the MCU the you know the Avengers movies who is like seeing the threat from far away you know many movies back like I got to put a team together I got to go find out heroes I got to train them up I got to you know activate them so that we can save the world and because he did that we have these movies <laughs> And then the Alfred. Alfred, of course, is not just the butler to Batman and, and, and you know, night-stalking, like, you know, from behind the computer genius to help him, you know, carry out his missions or whatever he's doing. He was also the guy, depending on source material, uh, who, who raised the orphaned Bruce Wayne and helped him become not only the superhero, but the man he'd become, and we have all the rest of that. And, you know, I, I know it's fictional characters we're talking about here but really these illustrate so much of how our society thinks and feels because who gets all the credit who gets all the limelight who gets all the attention in real life but the the heroes you know who gets the headlines but the the movers and shakers and what we see in the text in front of us today is regardless of whether you see yourself as a hero or not or you are a hero or you're not Almost certainly the biggest impact that you can have is by being a hero maker. Jesus was a hero maker. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. He was a hero, okay? He's actually the hero of all heroes. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. He's Messiah. Uh, let me summarize that. Savior of the world. He truly defeated our greatest enemies, the enemies of sin and death on the cross, offering forgiveness for all who would receive him, a relationship restored with our heavenly father would last forever. In fact, you could even put it that even our fictional superheroes at best are a faint whisper of his true beauty, goodness, and strength. So Jesus is a hero of heroes, but he was also a hero maker. And in some ways it seems all the more profound to me that because he was such a hero, he was a hero maker. Again, if you want to open your Bibles today, if you have them, you can turn to Luke chapter 6. The words will be on your screen, so you can follow along there. Uh, for those of you guys who are newer with us over the last few weeks, uh, we, t- we hit the pause button a couple weeks ago to do a, a three-part vision series. Now we're getting back into the gospel or biographical account of Jesus written by Luke. One of the One of my aims here at current is to give us what i like to think of as a well-rounded biblical diet we've looked at old testament scriptures in the recent past that's the scriptures leading up to Jesus' life we've looked at new testament letters here and there now we're into one of these gospels these biographical accounts of jesus written by luke and we're picking up in chapter six where bible scholars tell us there's this pivotal juncture in the life and ministry of, of jesus at, by this point in chapter 6, Jesus has established his ministry. He's established a care ministry. He's established a teaching ministry. And things are really taking off. The crowds are flocking to follow him. Uh, people are showing up in droves. The religious leaders are starting to oppose him a little bit more uh, intensely. In fact, even by this point in Luke's account, they are already starting to look for ways to uh, do him in, which they will eventually do. Um, but what we see up to this point is he has also recruited a team that are known as the 12 disciples. And in this critical of junctures, we see Jesus very carefully and thoughtfully choosing to invest in them, to invest in others. In other words, to become a hero maker. And so what we have in front of us are principles that can help us be hero makers that can help us invest in others can help us have great impact perhaps even our greatest impact that we can in this life through others so the plan more specifically is to see three things as jesus invests in others we're gonna look at his mindset his approach and his aim okay so we're gonna look at jesus's mindset approach and aim when it comes to investing in others so let's pick up in luke chapter 6 we're gonna be looking at verses 12 through 16 One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. All right, so let's look at Jesus' mindset as he begins to invest in these others in kind of a more uh, formal way here. Uh, we've already said that this has been a critical time. This is a critical kind of pivoting moment in Jesus' ministry where he starts to uh, really press into this moment. And, and what Luke says here is Jesus went off to pray. But they don't, he doesn't just say that Jesus went off to pray. He really emphasizes how, Jesus, how important this was in, in Jesus' mind. It says that he went to pray at, on, the, on the mountainside. Okay, That's to say he got away. He like, He's doing a little retreat here. He wanted to kind of focus in that sense. And then he also didn't just pray. He, he prayed all night long. He spent the night in prayer. So this wasn't just a, you know, right before you fall asleep type prayer. This was a, man, he was earnest spending many hours uh, praying about this, which is to say this was incredibly important to Jesus He was getting ready to take this big, vitally important step to more, like, formally invest in these guys. And so he leans into it in this moment. And what we see is his mindset was being very, very intentional. Uh, Think of it this way. Jesus wasn't just sliding into this investing of others. His his idea of investing in others wasn't just something that he just kind of, like, happened into. But it was something he was very intentional about. Uh, Think of it this way. Hero makers understand... That results multiply through others and not just through themselves. Uh, to think of it, to say that again, hero makers understand that results multiply through others and not just through themselves. Jesus lived this, he understood this, he modeled this. Uh, one of the most mind-boggling things, statements that Jesus said in the scriptures is found in John chapter 14, verse 12. It says, he said to his disciples, very truly I tell you, that was him saying, hey, here's an important thing that I really wanted you to grasp. Whoever believes in me, he went on to say, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. That's just a mind-boggling thought. I've thought about it over the years. It's like, how in the world would Jesus' followers go on to do even greater things than we have recorded of him doing in the scriptures? It's like... How in the world? Well, in a very literal sense, we see that playing out in the scriptures, and we can think about that in in, in our times, too. I mean, there was times, for instance, when Jesus, say, healed the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Uh, she um, made her way to him through the crowd the, the crowd was especially packed that day so she had to kind of weave and and get there to him and when she got to him she didn't want to really interrupt what he was doing but she still wanted to try to find healing so what we're told is that she kind of reached out and touched Jesus's cloak just the hem of his cloak and that was enough she she was healed in that moment and she tried to slip back away and the story goes on to say how Jesus wouldn't let her slip away. He wanted to like, have a personal interaction with her. And so he, he stopped everything and, and actually ended up in a conversation with her. But for our point, Jesus was able to heal somebody in this special miracle just by them touching the hem of his cloak. Well, in the book of Acts, for instance, we see another story where the apostles were out doing their thing. And one time, uh, they weren't just healing people by touching them or by them touching their cloaks or something, but they just the shadow of their cloak passed by. And it's like when you read that, you're like, okay, there's, there's kind of the faint echo of what Jesus was saying. They will do even greater things than I. So there's kind of a literal sense of what Jesus meant for his followers in, in, in that way. But then there's also a more meta sense. And that meta sense, you can think about in a number of ways that, that his followers go on to do greater things than he. One of the ways to think about this is by the time Jesus ended his ministry, at least earthly ministry, to go back into heaven, he had about 100 followers, maybe a little bit more. We don't know Exactly. About a couple hundred followers. Well, on the first day of his launching the church, Peter would give a sermon, and a couple thousand would begin to follow and become Christian. I mean, that's kind of an interesting... And you think about the expression of followers of Jesus here as a a small local expression in in the area that we're in, let alone around the world. And then, if we understand theologically what it means when a person puts their faith in Jesus and how that is an infinitely greater miracle than even someone being healed by touching a cloak and receiving physical healing in, in that way. One of the most foundational of all parables or spiritual stories that Jesus would teach with a, with a, with a little truth or with a little lesson is, is known as the parable of the farmer who would go out and sow seeds. And Jesus talked about how this farmer would sow seeds and some of it would fall on soil that wasn't good and the crop would just kind of fade out, die out. But then some of the crop, he said, would go and fall on good soil. And that would grow up, you know, uh, 30-fold, 60-fold, even even 100-fold. That was Jesus' way of saying that the kingdom of God... Jesus' life and work through you and me is meant to get out there. It's supposed to start with us and, and get out and, and move out and, and multiply. It's got to be something that, that multiplies through ourselves to, to others. Uh, we, we celebrated baptisms last week, which were a lot of fun. Uh, Sonny and, and Wilson. Oh, I'm so glad they shared their stories. It was really fun to, to hear them uh, share their stories uh, as they courageously uh, told them. But you know it was one of the fun parts for me? In that process was they each brought family or friends with them to that occasion. And at one point, one of them was, invi- was introducing me to a friend that they said, Pastor, you got to meet them. They were the, they were the person that, that helped me find Jesus, put my faith in Jesus, and helped me grow as, as a follower of Jesus from the earliest of days. And I, I'm looking at this person. You know, they have their mask on. I just see their eyes. And, you know, I, I can't remember their name, sadly. But I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, like, oh, my goodness, there's a hero maker. And I'm like, I, can't, I was preparing for this message. I can't remember their name, but God knows their name. And God knows the impact of that person. And, you know, it's just like a little quick, oh, you gotta meet somebody who helped me find Jesus and grow in Jesus. It's like, that's a hero maker. And then one of them sent an email, one of the Baptistees sent an email to their uh, current group this week uh, to the tune of, hey, current group members, you just need to know that you had an incredible impact in my faith journey, just strengthening me and helping me find Jesus and grow. And you had an integral part they wrote. And I'm like, man, how often do you think of going to like current group a Bible study thinking that you're, you know, you're doing something beyond just like showing up? And this person was saying to them, you, you are hero making for me. And then I think about one of them who's getting ready to move back uh, to the, her native country in Germany, if I could share Sunny's story here. She's getting ready to move. We've got to be praying for her. I'm actually glad you're here today. You were supposed, you were supposed to move last week, so we will, yeah, so we'll take it. We'll get, to, get you a little bit longer. Sunny is getting ready to move back to Germany. We're going to be praying for her as she, she kind of um, moves back there. But I was talking with Sunni before the baptism, and uh, she was sharing how she has a heart when she goes back to Wherever she ends up in a, in a church over there, and churches tend to be a little bit different in Europe, if you know kind of the, the context over there. And she's like, I really, really hope to either be a part of a church or help a church really focus on helping the outsider belong. And I was sitting there like, I even get the like kind of, she was thinking about it, it's like, that's her wanting to go and be a hero maker over there. It's like, this is what we're talking about. Like Jesus wants us to be thinking about how we can multiply our efforts into others, but we have to be intentional about it. It's got to be something we're thinking about. Do you have the eyes to see it? Are you looking for it? I mean, I think that's, that's where it starts—just to realize that this is happening. I mean, again, I, I just use the example of folks showing up at a current group, ending up like having an integral part in someone's faith journey. That's kind of cool. Do you have the eyes for it? And then, can you be intentional with different relationships? Who can you be intentional with? Parents. This has to include your kids, right? As you think, we're going to talk a little bit more about what this can look like uh, in different ways, but are you thinking about your kids and roommates, spouses, Uh, you know, are you thinking about those people in your lives? By God's grace, one of the really cool things here at Current is recently we've had a number of people make faith decisions to follow Jesus. For those of you who are close to those people making these faith decisions, you're related to them, you're in their lives regularly, are you intentional about that? Or are you just kind of, Continuing on with life and not really thinking about it. there's opportunity. We've got to we got to be intentional. Jesus' mindset when it came to investing in others, first of all, was intentional. Now let's look at his approach, or to think of it another way, his his method. Luke uh, six verse thirteen says, "When the morning came, so after this night of prayer, he called his disciples to him." Now this word disciple is actually quite helpful to consider in this context. Uh, disciple is not a word that we use in our English vernacular, of course. Uh, perhaps a a better way for us to think about it in our vernacular would be a learner. You could maybe translate it student. The problem is when we start to think about it that way, we start to bring in all these connotations that weren't necessarily all there when it came to be a disciple. To be a disciple meant not just be simply studying a subject, it meant to be following a teacher. And so there was actually this personal interaction that you had uh, going back and forth that a disciple would have. Listen to how Mark writes of Jesus' approach in his parallel account. Okay, Mark wrote a similar account to Luke. Here's how he put it. He said, Jesus went up on the mountainside, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, and here it is, that they might be with him. So this word disciple and then Mark's thought of that they might be with him goes to show us that Jesus' approach was life on life. Jesus was just hanging out with these guys organically and allowing that to just help them become the people that he wanted them to be. You know, in our 21st century approach to learning, we often think that learning happens exclusively in a classroom, right, or, or a lecture hall. And to be clear, Jesus actually did that. They, they may have not had number two pencils or, you know, desks as we have them. But, you know, Jesus actually had lectures, if you could say that. We're actually going to be looking at one of his sermons uh, later in, in this series. Uh, he, he also would pull the disciples aside and do a little bit of seminar. So, you know, that, there is a place. I don't want to completely knock that. But most of all, he would just spend time with them. He called them that they might be with him, that they would be his disciple. Uh, think of it this way. For Jesus, his curriculum was life life would come up and they would tackle it together. How'd that look? Well, you know, as these guys were out and about and Jesus was out there healing people, interacting with people, caring for them, his disciples were watching, paying attention. If he was out there teaching, they were listening and trying to chew on those lessons themselves. And people came up and tried to like debate with them. They'd listen to how Jesus responded. There's a, there's a really helpful text in Mark 4 that kind of helps give a little picture of this. It's Mark 4 verses 33 and 34 that say, uh, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to the crowds, that is, and as much as they could understand, he did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. There was Jesus out there being with, life on life with his disciples. They would have a question, hadn't hey, understand that parable of the the farmer sowing the seeds. would you explain that to us? Oh, yeah, let me break that down for you. And, and all the rest of it. Jesus made himself available, and he wouldn't let teaching moments slip by, but he would just look for opportunities to kind of invest in that in organically. Again, I mentioned the, the baptisms earlier, and uh, one of the things we'll do from time to time is uh, invite those who are going to be baptized to share. Uh, their story. By the way, if you want to be baptized and you're nervous about having to share a story or be on a video, that's not what you have to do. There's no like, you have to do that. In fact, if you're not comfortable doing that, you don't have to do that. But we'll often ask to see if somebody's in com- uh, comfortable and we have the means to do that. We'll, we'll try to make it happen. Because uh, sometimes when I'll ask or invite someone into it, be the, the classic response is, oh no, I don't have anything like impactful to say. But I'm like, oh, he's like, no, no, no. You, are you kidding? I haven't even heard what you said, but you absolutely do. No, pastor, I don't. Yeah, you do. How so? Well, it's your life that you're sharing. It's not just your story. It's God's story in you. And so just by nature of you saying, I've made this decision to follow Jesus, that's a powerful statement. In fact, how I'll often say it is, it's far more powerful than anything I could say in a sermon, a sermon point. It's you in, you know, in, in flesh and blood, in, in your spirit saying, you know, this is a this is decision I mean, Wilson shared the story last week in, in his testimony video. Saying something like, I was searching for for meaning in you know in my career in in a fancy car, in in health, but I was finding it all empty. and I'm just like, man, that so resonates that, that makes sense. but life that that was just a snapshot of his story, a snapshot of Sunni's story. life is filled with everyday moments, so to speak, where we can see how we live them out, we can learn, we can grow, which means. You know, while you're living your life and your coworkers are there, your neighbors are there, your, your friends, your family are there, do you recognize that you're being watched? For Christians, sometimes that means you're being watched for being a Christian and they're trying to make sense of that. Are you leaning into that, being intentional with that and approaching that with the best you can with your relationship with God, making decisions to him, putting his kingdom first? Now, this doesn't mean you have to be all like religiously about it doesn't mean you have to be all overly spiritual about it, but just like as you make your priorities, is that factoring in? You know, you think about with with parents, you know, your kids are watching. <laughs> you don't need to, <laughs> I, we, as a parent, I, I speak this for myself, you don't need to be taught that, you know, you can't just say the words, you have to live them. Because kids, real quickly, understand. they have this, such a high level of intuition at a young age, that if you try to teach them something, but you're doing this over here, they're going to call that out in a microsecond right so you got to be living it out. in fact living it out is all the more important when it's coupled with and that's and that's really life or you know just to talk about it in, in any given relationship let's say when you mess up are you owning it do you live humbly are you are you quick or able to ask for forgiveness when you've messed up not a lot of folks in our society do that by the way christians included. But Christians, we ought to lead out in that if the whole, if the whole gospel is Jesus died for our sins. When, when you mess up, do you, do you own it? Those are, those are moments to point people towards Jesus. When you, have, when you experience a major success, are you just making it about yourself or are you deflecting it to your teammates or trying to raise up others or are you thanking, thanking the Lord or whatever the case might be? When you struggle with something, are you vulnerably allowing someone in that with you to walk with you, to help you, to carry, carry on and help help you carry on? Jesus' approach was life on life. And I think an important insight here that needs to be said is in all this, we need to remember we are not Jesus. <laughs> I mean, the disciples got a perfect picture of what it means to be Jesus. We can almost have our greatest impact in all these ways in helping people see our need for Jesus meaning when we mess up, how, do we turn back to him? Do we own, do we, do we you know, our, our faults and, and failures and all that sort of thing? You know, the American church has made a big deal of this idea of discipleship, if, if we'll call it that, over the last few years, and, and in a way, it's great. It's, you know, the American church is like, it's all about, you know, how to maximize and make things more efficient, and, and, and the rest. There's a lot of how-to books on this, but, and I don't want to knock all of that, it's really not all that complicated. <laughs> Just life on life, organically hanging out, pointing people to Jesus as best we can as the moments arrive in our words, in our actions, in our, in, our, in our life. So Jesus' mindset is to be intentional, his approach, life on life. And then when it came to investing in others, finally, let's look at Jesus' aim, his goal here. Uh, Luke 6, verse 13 says, When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Okay, so they were disciples, and they were, going to be, they were designated here as apostles. Apostle more literally, literally means to uh, one who is sent, or maybe an ambassador on, be, on behalf of, which is to say, Jesus is making it really clear, to be his follower means to be someone living sent, living on mission. Again, let's look at Mark's parallel account. Uh, Mark 3, verse 14 says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Okay, we covered that. And that he might send them out. To preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So he called them that they might be with him. And then number two, that he might send them out. Absolutely central to God's will for your life if you're a follower of his is to be a person living sent. Living on mission. It goes back, we've touched on this uh, recently. It goes back to the original call of his people through Abraham when God came and said, I will make you my people. I am going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you in order that you would be a blessing. Uh, it's true from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, all the way to Revelation, the last book. And it's clear here, Jesus, in this pivotal moment of what it means to be a follower of his, that we are to live sent, that we are to live on mission. We've already said it in a way, but let's make it clear. His aim is, was to multiply himself. The, the ministry that Jesus calls us to as we invest in others, its aim ought to be to multiply. He called them that he, they, that he might send them out. Now, real quickly, he said in two ways. We'll touch on these real quickly. He says he said that he might send them out to preach and that he might send them out to have authority over demons. That uh, To have authority over demons, we, not, we, we might not really think about the demonic in our society today, at least in the place where we live in, our, in, in the world. But the Bible holistically ascribes, well, at least in, in great part, evil to it. And it calls followers of Jesus to fight against evil evil in the world to fight injustices and wherever it might be and then he says to send them out in order to preach now when it says the word to preach we probably think real quickly you know have a pulpit stand up on the stage and give a sermon that's not what he was saying the word more literally means to make known okay so jesus is saying to to make known what he's about and so we've talked about this in, in the past it means not just through words although that's part of it but also through our actions through our deeds through our relationships The overarching point here is that when it comes to investing in others, it means doing it purposefully, intentionally to multiply. Let's think of it this way. Part of what Jesus is saying here is to help, when it comes to investing in others, we need to help each other, ourselves included, move increasingly from consumers to contributors. To move from consumers to contributors, or to move increasingly from receivers to givers. I think one of the real challenges in the American church when we think about what it means to grow in our faith, we can real quickly think it's all about feed me, help me grow, and Jesus is saying, okay, that's that's a part of it, but an integral part of that is to serve and care for others. One of the questions I've been asked more than just about any other as a pastor over the years is, how do I grow in my faith? And there's many ways you can answer that question. I mean, the You talk about spiritual disciplines that are found in the scriptures so reading your bible going to church listening to a sermon being part of a faith community of christians uh you know all all the rest of those sorts of things but one of the things i almost always try to emphasize when i'm answering that question is that we ought to look for ways to serve ephesians 4 says christ gave some to be apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers that they might equip God's people for works of service, uh, for works of service, dot, 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 that they might uh, attain under the full measure of Jesus. It's through serving others that we mature in our faith, that we grow to become increasingly like Jesus, to, to, through service. Now, what does that look like? When I was a little guy, I was on the setup and teardown down team of a, of a church plant. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we, were, we You know, th- we're spoiled here with all these things that, like, roll around. We'd, like, carry all these, like, awkwardly shaped things. Through awkward. But it was a lot. Of, I, I loved it, getting to know the other guys and, you know, the camaraderie of it all. But you know what I loved absolutely most then and especially now looking back of that time? Was getting a front row seat of seeing God move through that church. That church was in Berkeley. And... I got to see people in a place called Berkeley, not known for being all that receptive towards Christianity, putting their faith in Jesus. And I was like, that is pretty cool. Life change, people giving back to the community, so much so that I wanted my life to be about that, all through just serving. Jesus says here an integral part of what it means to be a follower of his is to serve, is to look to multiply the ministry through others, which means if we fail to help others... Even as we need to do this in ourselves, if we fail to help others as we invest in them, if we fail to help them love, care, and serve for others still, then we're not doing what Jesus calls us to do. It's all about serving and loving and multiplying and serving and loving, caring for others still. My dad had a huge impact on me. Uh, He was in the pastorate, and so, you know, I'm I'm in the pastorate now, so obviously it's, it's had a huge impact. On me. Uh, but his training for me wasn't all formal. In fact, there was some formal training, which I, man, I was so helpful. I'm so grateful for. But the vast majority of it wasn't so formal. It's just watching him and my mom, for that matter, and how they approached life, how they made decisions. And, you know, it's pretty clear looking back that he was very intentional and purposeful uh, throughout my childhood. Uh, every so often, it was really fun when my uh, siblings and I were going to school. We'd pack up, get in the car. We'd all drive to school, and we they'd drop us off, and we'd start walking to class, and every every so often, they'd say, hey, kids, come on back to the car. And we'd be like, what? Why? Why? We like, come back. We're like, already late. We got to get going. No, no, no. Get, get back in the car. Like, oh, okay. We hop back in. They start driving off. Like, what's going on? Well, today, we're going to Disneyland. Like, what? We're going to Disneyland. Like, oh, okay. And I was like, could you imagine being in elementary school, thinking you're going to school, only to be driving to Disneyland? It's like the euphoria. is just Okay. Anyways, there's also times my dad would pull me out of of class and uh, it happened just a few times. This is when I was like second grade, third grade to go to Balboa Park. This is when I was a little guy still in San Diego before I moved up to Berkeley to go to Balboa to feed the homeless. Now, as I was driving there and my dad was explaining that it wasn't going to Disneyland in my mind. I'm like, I think I'd rather be in school. He's like, we're going to feed the homeless. It's going to be great. We're going to make bacon and eggs and and, and he would ex- describe how a few other guys were going to go out uh, with us. I was just the only kid out there. Uh, and, and that's what they'd do. They would just start making bacon and eggs in the middle of a, the park, in a, a park bench out there. And little by little, people would smell the bacon and eggs, and they'd come out. And, and you could tell that their goal was not so much to feed the masses, although they fed a lot of people, I mean, easily you know, a couple hundred type deal. But their goal was more so to get into meaningful conversations with people. In other words, to impart dignity, uh, love, care in conversation. And and even as I say that, it didn't come out quite right. Not not in a condescending way, like, hey, I've come in here to, but like brother to brother type deal. And there they were having conversations with people, just loving on, in, invariably, conversations of faith would come up. In fact, the homeless are constantly thinking about faith, and they'd have a lot. And there I was, this little guy, like, kind of, like, super scared in the beginning and, you know, still scared at the end, but at least, like, coming out of my shell and, and eventually having conversations. And, you know, these homeless guys, like, kind of pulling me out and saying, hey, tell me, you little guy, like, what what what's your story? Like, what are you into? What sports are you playing? That kind of thing. And learning about, you know, their lives and them imparting, like, life wisdom to me. And it's just like, as... As a kid, growing into being an adult, I only did that once, twice, handful of times with my dad. It had a profound impact on my life. And hopefully, you know, as I think about people and care for people, not just homeless, but just it had a profound or I think about other people in my life, guys in particular, who who kind of shaped who I am, my character, my faith walk. I can't remember a single time any of those guys who I could list off for you would sit me down like, all right, David, now I'm going to disciple you <laughs> or like, let's have a little Bible study and let me work through your life. It was never, it was just always just going through life. Now we talk about scriptures or yeah, just as life happened, we'd go out and they'd care for people and I'd see them do that. And it was just all happening very organically and it's, it's bent the world to me uh, in terms of who I've, I feel like the Lord's helped, helped me become, at least in, in some respects, I'm just so grateful for their ministry in that. Jesus was very intentional. He, he, was, he was thinking about how to make life the curriculum, which kind of makes sense theologically, and this is not in my notes, but you think about it, if the Holy Spirit's out there kind of working, he's got the curriculum figured out. He was intentional, life, life on life, and he, his, his aim was to multiply. And you think about the opportunity you have here, for instance, at current, to kind of wade into that, and part of our goal here as a church is to like set the table, if you will. Uh, great opportunity, obviously, is to get into current groups where we study the Bible and we have more of these one another uh, relationships that we can have as we go from rows to, to circles midweek. We already gave an example of how that's had a tremendous impact on, on, just, on just one person just by way of example. I mean, that's, that's an incredible way, and then and relationships can bloom from there. You know, one of the secret sauces to this, actually, especially if you're new, is to join a serving team, especially for guys, by the way, uh, if I can make a very generalist statement here, which always makes me nervous, but like, like we guys tend to not be as good at like the across-the-table conversations, you know, and so when we're pushing things, it's a lot better. It's like, hey, how are you doing? How was your week? But if you like try to do that, it's like, uh, you know, but like, but, but, As we as we work on something, or we—I'll just speak for myself—stop generalizing this, right? As we do this, then it can lead to like getting to know each other better and like relationships that are that are meaningful. Takes a little more time, generally speaking, with guys, but they can be meaningful. And but what I'm saying is like there's many avenues to kind of explore that and try to develop that as we're all aiming to try to point each other to Jesus, and really that's the key. We're all on this journey together, wherever you're at spiritually. It's not to say there's a hierarchy of like, oh, you know, you need to learn from that person or the pastor. No, no or, hey, we're all learning. We all learn from, from each other and God's spirit working in one another. And so there's opportunities. We're setting the table and we're asking the question, how do we do this? Uh, one last thought and then we'll, then we'll close here and, and do communion. Uh, one of the really cool things here is actually the, the majority of the text that we read today is actually a list of names. Uh, so, you know, if most of the sermon has been these first two statements. I want to quickly touch upon these names uh, just because I think it's worth worthwhile to. There's, there's different things we could talk about. The low-hanging fruit thought, we could say, is these were everyday dudes, everyday people, which is incredible. Jesus changed the world through everyday people. That's a statement that he wants to use and can use any and everybody, okay? But here's what, I, what kind of stood out to me in my study this week, is that of these 12 guys, the vast majority we know next to nothing about. Think about that. Like we have a story or two sprinkled in here about Peter, James, and John. Thomas shows up in one story, you know, but really the vast majority of these guys, we know essentially nothing. From historical records, we know with great certainty that that probably all but one were martyred, but that's about it. Martyred for their faith in Jesus, by the way. We have little faint whispers of maybe they a couple of them went to this part of the world or trekked out there but we don't we don't know a whole lot which is incredible because if you think about it the scriptures end with you know in the next life as I get kicked off these guys are gonna be incredibly honored they made big waves and they're gonna be honored in the next life they're incredible people but we don't know what they did directly indirectly we know what they did they went out and they were hero makers such that we're sitting here today. And I love that thought because so often we give all the glory and acclaim in our minds to people who are on stage, people who are kind of in the limelight. But often, if not more so, God wants to use the people behind the scenes, encouraging, looking to activate, whatever it might mean, quietly, faithfully, being an integral part of someone's story. Those are the things that, The rest of us might not see, but God sees. And that's what we're talking about here. Look, God calls us into heroic feats and changing the world and changing eternity. But almost certainly the greatest way we can do that is by being not the heroes, but hero makers. So the questions for you this week to be thinking about is how can you be intentional about that? With whom might you be intentional with that? Might you need to be praying about that? How can you be purposeful about that, thinking about the multiplication piece? I don't know about you guys, but I'd love for Current to be a church of hero makers. Let's pray. Father, it really is a mind-boggling thought to let sink in that you, the hero of all heroes, As we remember the most heroic act of all in communion now, your death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And we can have life forever because of what Jesus has done for us. You you didn't just do that. you, You multiplied yourself such that to include others in your ministry of love and care in this world. You are a hero maker, and you call us to be hero makers. And Father, we pray that you'd help us do that. We live in a society, especially here in the Silicon Valley, it's easy to just look to the people who are making the headlines, aspire to the people who are making the headlines. But Father, would you help us aspire to being the people who are faithfully, quietly, looking to set others up to love, care, and serve, even as we need to be set up ourselves to love, care, and serve for others. Father, would you help current be a church of of hero makers, as it were? We love you, Father. We thank you so, so much that we can come and celebrate communion and remembrance of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.